Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Man, it really is an honor to be here. It's an honor to be a part of this church. Like Josh said, we uh, started coming here uh, late September of 2017, and we had just moved to DFW, and we were really in a, a season of transition, a season of uh, of change and kind of uncertainty to a lot of degree. And really, from the first Sunday that that we worshipped here with with this family, uh, we encountered Jesus. You know, and uh, when you encounter Jesus, it's a powerful thing. And uh, and really, that's uh, was kind of the the deciding factor for us plugging in and, and engaging in this community was, man, this is a place where, where people meet Jesus and, and encounter Jesus. And so uh, not only maybe are, are some of you guys blessed by us being here, but I know for a fact we're blessed by many, many of you uh, being here. This morning I want to preach from Hebrews uh, chapter 4. And it's uh, sort of an in-between message. You know, this isn't part of a series, but, but what it is is I think it's a, sort of a follow-up to the Wild series that we just had. And Josh spent, um, you know, the last few weeks just talking about this idea that, that God ultimately created us to, to live wild and not to be uh, constrained by fear, not to be constrained by expectations that we put on ourselves or expectations that others put on us, uh, not to... Uh, just live with this sense of, of oppression, but live with this sense of freedom and this sense of, of wildness. And one of the, the messages that really jumped out at, at me was the, the teaching on John the Baptist and how this guy, um, man, he was radically passionate about the kingdom of God. Uh, radical from the way he dressed, radical from the, the place that he lived, radical from the, the aspect of the, the message that he brought, you know. And the, the thing that's so awesome about John the Baptist is that, um, that he took something that the Jews were already doing, which is baptism. They, the, the Jews were, were familiar with this practice of baptism, this practice of uh, ritual, ritual washing and cleansing. But what John the Baptist did is he said, yeah, that's good. But it needs to be coupled with the repentance of sins. It's not just a, uh, an outward uh, like demonstration of, yeah, I'm clean before God. What John the Baptist was saying in, in his wildness was, okay, what you're doing is good, but you need to add to that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so uh, that really just uh, struck a chord and, and reminded me again that we need to live wild. And one of the ways that we live wild is we live in the victory of Jesus, right? We live in the, the victory that he has already accomplished for us. And that's what Hebrews 4 is about. Hebrews 4 uh, talks about this idea of, of rest and entering into a place of rest. And rest is found throughout the scriptures. It's found from Genesis to Revelation. We read this, this we see this picture of, of rest, right? In, in uh, Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, it talks about the garden. And God created a garden. And a lot of times a, a garden is a, a place of rest, a place to step back, a place to, uh, to experience the peace that God has for us. And then we see in, uh, in the Gospels when Jesus was crucified and the, the thief that, uh, that believed, Jesus said, today you will uh, be with me in paradise. And the word there that's used for paradise is actually a word that means like a walled garden, a protected garden, a, a place of rest. And so uh, Jesus being the, the master of scripture, I think he was uh, 
going back to that idea of Eden and saying, today you're going to be with me where all of that is restored. And then, of course, in, in Revelation, we see the, the story of uh, the end times and God bringing the fulfillment of all things. And we see the word paradise. We see the word heaven there again. And so this idea of victory, this idea of rest is throughout the scriptures. And the truth is, is that rest is built on the work that God has accomplished. Rest is built on the victory of Jesus. You know, Jesus, uh, his life was all about victory, right? In his life, he was victorious. In his death, he was victorious. You may think, well, how is death victorious? Well, in, in death, he canceled the power of sin, and that's a big victory, right? So in his death, he was victorious. In his resurrection, he was victorious. And in his ascension, he was victorious. And so when we talk about this morning, this idea of rest, this idea of victory, what we're talking about is uh, we want to, by God's grace, establish ourselves on the victory that Christ has accomplished. Uh, and the foundation is, is everything, right? Uh, where we live in, in, uh, in downtown Dallas, they're doing this major construction project. I don't know what they're building, but it's, it's something amazing. Right now it's a, a big hole right next to our, our uh, apartment. But, um, you know, this, the foundation for this building or structure or whatever is going to be made, it's a parking garage, that's needed. But... Uh, <laughs> Whatever it is, this is like a, a 30 foot deep hole, you know, and it's filled with concrete. And I'm like, man, you know, they're, they're serious about this foundation. And the, the same is true for us. Uh, as we seek to live a, a life of wildness, as we seek to live a, a life of freedom, as we seek to, to follow the spirit uh, that God has placed within us, uh, all of that is built on the foundation of Christ and all of it's built on the foundation of the victory that he achieved and that he accomplished. Um, so uh, as we get into to Hebrews chap- chapter 4, uh, you know, the whole book of Hebrews, it, it, it points to the superiority of Jesus. Hebrews was written uh, in the New Testament time, but it was written uh, primarily to those of, of Jewish background. And uh, the, the whole picture of Hebrews is pointing to the superior, superior, superiority of Jesus. Uh, starts by saying that he was superior, that he is superior to the angels, that he's superior to Melchizedek, this uh, great king of the Old Testament, that he's superior to Moses, that he's superior to the, the law that was given to Moses, that he's superior to the system of sacrifices, and that he's superior to the, the system of priests. Uh, all of these things were established by God for a purpose, but they were created for the purpose of pointing toward Christ and pointing toward the, the nature of God. It's like uh, St. Uh, Augustine said it this way. He said, uh, in the old, the new is revealed. So in the Old Testament, the New Testament is revealed. And in the New Testament, the old is concealed. And so this idea that Christ is from Genesis to Revelation, and because of that, uh, he is superior to everything and anything established by God. And in fact, we read in Colossians that, that he holds all, that all things are held together by Christ, right? Uh, so our victory, our rest in Christ is established by Christ and it's held together by Christ. How awesome is that? So our rest is established by the Father and it's secured by Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, uh, we read that... Uh, God's promise of entering his rest, it still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear 
that some of us might fail to experience, experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. And this is referencing at the end of chapter 3. Uh, it talks about the, the rest that God established for those in the Old Testament and for the, the saints of old. And he's saying that, hey, that rest is still available to us. And so as the author of Hebrews is talking about the, the, the victory of Jesus, he's talking about the rest that has been established for us. Uh, it's, a, it's a call to remember our position in Christ, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter <clears throat> chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, it, it says uh, that, uh, that, Christ, that, that God raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now I'll read that last part again. Uh, made complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Uh, the truth is, uh, Christ has filled you with himself. Yes. He has filled your workplace with himself. He has filled your family with himself. He has filled our church with himself. And so that's our position. Our position is <clears throat> we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Yes. And our position is our <clears throat> that uh, just as all things have been placed under his feet, all things are placed under our feet. As we are seated with him, as we abide in him, uh, the victory that Christ has is the victory that's credited to us, right? So a place of spiritual rest is about our position in Christ, not about our performance in him. I want to say that again, that, that our, <clears throat> our place of victory, our place of rest is about our position in Christ, not our performance for him, right? And uh, the, the truth of the matter is our position uh, helps shape and determine and dictate uh, our perspective, right? Uh, and so if my position is a position of defeat, a position of lacking, a position that God is holding out on me, then that's going to, uh, that's my perspective. That's going to determine how I see everything else and, and and, and all of that. But if my position is one of victory, if my position is one of standing in Christ and my position is one of allowing myself to be filled with him, then that's going to dictate how I see everything. Even if, if all the things in my life aren't lining up like I want yes. them to, even if all the things aren't coming about in, in, a, in a, a time frame that I want them to or a manner that I want them to, if I remember that my position is in Christ, that helps dictate my perspective about everything that's happening around me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got to go on a, uh, a, an international trip with a friend to the country of Macedonia, and then we came back and did some uh, ministry work in Washington, D.C. as well. And so on the last leg of the trip, you know, and that's when you're just like totally worn out if you've taken a, a long trip. The, the last stretch home, you're like, man, I'm just ready for this to be over. If you want to come back now, Jesus, that's fine, so I don't have to get on this plane and travel again. But... Um, we had some uh, issues with our with our tickets when we were uh, uh, got to the airport and all of that, and so they uh, they accommodated us, and I got to sit in an exit row, which is nice. 
uh, you know, got a little extra leg room. But my friend actually got a seat in first class, you know. So I'm not bitter, but I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> that, um, that his perspective of the flight was different than my perspective of the flight, right? Because his position in the plane was different than my position in the plane. So I had some leg room, but he had some leg room, you know? And I, I had like a seat that's, you know, I'm not all that big, but, you know, I was like, you know, tight. And he had a seat like a, you know, like a recliner, basically. And then afterwards, he was telling me about how they served him lasagna. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, I got like three mini pretzels and two ounces of water. And, and I'm like, well, okay. But I'm not bitter. You know, I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, his perspective of the flight was a little different than my perspective of the flight. And that was determined by his position. And uh, that's the truth for all of us. You know, as we walk through life, as we encounter the things that, uh, that happen on a day-to-day basis, the big struggles, <clears throat> the small struggles, whatever it may be, uh, we have to keep coming back to this, uh, this, this truth and this anchor that uh, our position determines our perspective. And so we just keep going back to that position that we are victorious in Christ, that he is seated in a place of honor. He is seated in a place of authority, a place of power, a place of righteousness. That's where he's seated at the right hand of the father. And Ephesians 1 tells us that we're seated there with him and not just you as an individual, not just me as an individual, but as a church, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And, and what that means for us is that uh, in this victory of Christ, in this rest that Christ has for us, it's not a rest where we uh, sit back and, and watch TV. You know, It's a rest that enables us and propels us forward to live wildly and bravely. Uh, one of the most uh, impactful quotes that I've heard in a long time came from this, this pastor in Macedonia. And... Uh, God has really laid on his heart a, uh, a passion and a vision to see the, the Balkan region, which is where uh, Macedonia is, uh, but to see, the, to see reconciliation come to the Balkans, right? It's a, it's a, a region of the world that's uh, always, there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of struggle, there's a lot of racial tension, there's a lot of economic tension, there's a lot of uh, political tension, it's just filled with tension. But, but God has given this man uh, a passion to, to see that change. And he said this, he said that the church has the responsibility and the authority to bring healing to the Balkans. And I want to say that the same is true for the church in the United States, that God has given us the authority and the responsibility to bring healing, uh, healing wherever there's brokenness, uh, to bring healing. And we bring that healing. We have that authority. We have that responsibility. Why? Because of the victory of Jesus. Because we rest in that victory, we can then move forward with a life of wildness. What happens when we we forget about this position? Uh, A lot of things happen, but there's kind of two extremes. Uh, We can either uh, step into the realm of pride, right? And if we forget our position in Christ and we begin to think, man, I'm, I'm really doing a lot here for God. I mean, and there's really a lot of awesome stuff happening. Uh, and we begin to think, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Um, then what happens in that is we begin to press ahead of the spirit of God. And we begin to uh, get out of step 
with him, right? We forget our position is a position of humility in Christ, right? And then on the other extreme, we can go to a place of fear. And sometimes that's, that's my default, you know? Uh, it's my personality, kind of how I'm wired. Uh, I forget my position is a position of victory, uh, and I, I, I stay behind the spirit, right? So pride can push us ahead of the spirit. Fear can keep us behind the spirit. But the truth is, either way, we are out of step with the spirit of God. So we have to come, come back, come from the position of pride, come from the position of fear, come back to the center, to a position of victory, and rest in that victory and operate out of that victory. Uh, we can't look to our circumstances. We can't look to our situations. We can't look to other people to bring us victory, right? Um, in Hebrews 4, it talks about that uh, Moses couldn't bring this victory, this rest for the people. Joshua couldn't bring the victory. He couldn't bring the rest for the people. Uh, King David, as awesome as he was, he couldn't bring rest or victory. It was only found in Jesus. And so that's true for us also, that we can't look, I, I can't look to my, my wife to bring me to a position of victory or rest in Jesus. Uh, as great of a, as a pastor as Josh and, and Leslie are, I can't look to them to bring me to a position of rest or victory in Jesus. Um, because when we do that, what we're doing is uh, we're setting ourselves up to get frustrated with that person or that circumstance when they don't meet our need. Uh, and we're, we're setting them up for failure, right? Uh, it's kind of like... Uh, I'm not really a, a mechanic at all, but, you know, I can do a few things, like fill my car up with gas. Uh, like, I, I've managed to figure that out. If I could move, like, to Washington State, where it's illegal to pump your own gas, that would be even better, because I wouldn't have to worry about it. But uh, I did grow up farming, and I know a little bit about engines, nothing about sound systems. But I know a little bit of, about engines. And I know that if you're going to work on an engine, uh, you need to have the right tools, right? Uh, so if I've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bolt that's holding something together, if I try to loosen that bolt with a screwdriver, that's not going to work, right? A screwdriver is a great tool for loosening or tightening a screw, but not a bolt, right? So if I'm working on this, this engine and I'm trying to loosen this bolt with a screwdriver, that's not going to work. Uh, the bolt is going to get messed up and the screwdriver is going to get messed up and I'm going to get really angry um, because I'm using the wrong tool for the wrong application. So the same is true in our, our identity, our position in Jesus, right? If I'm looking to other people, other circumstances, even if I'm looking to the church, to bring me uh, to a position of victory and a position of rest in Jesus, it's not going to work. It's going to be like trying to loosen up a bolt with a screwdriver. And so our, our victory, our rest, it's established by God, it's secured by Jesus, and it's actualized through faith. Continuing here in Hebrews 4. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. Hello. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. I want to pause there for a minute. Uh, the idea again here of rest, it's not that God was tired. Right. 
Uh, it's not that he was worn out. Uh, I mean, he had created the universe, but still, he's God, and so he wasn't tired even after creating the universe. Uh, the, the truth is, and the, the principle here, is that God rested from a place of con- uh, completion, from a place of uh, success, from a place of victory. His rest came as a, a symbol that everything that he had made was good, everything he made was complete, um, and he was victorious in what he did. And so that's, that's true for us also, right? As we're in this place of rest in God, it's not from a place of rest necessarily because we're tired, although we, we may be tired, but it's not uh, a rest from activity, but it's a rest for spirit-led activity, right? And so... God rested after he, he made, uh, made the world. We know it is ready because of the place in Scripture where, oh yeah. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard the good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God did not set another time, because uh, so God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. From a place of victory, a place of completion. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. So this is, uh, as I interpret this particular passage, uh, section of of chapter four, I think it's talking about the the principle of faith, right? It's by faith that we we enter this rest. And and faith is really about transfer uh, and a a place of, of transference in the gospel is about transfer, right? And just like uh, we see the, the victory of Jesus from, uh, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. The gospel uh, wasn't ushered in with uh, the book of Matthew. The, uh, the gospel was ushered in, I believe, in Genesis chapter 3. And this is what I, what I mean by that is that, uh, you know, Adam and Eve are placed in the garden. Everything was perfect. Their relationship with God was perfect. Their relationship with each other was perfect. Uh, they went against what God had uh, instructed them to do. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, their eyes were opened to, uh, to evil. And, and they realized that, the, that at that point they were naked and their nakedness was, was not good. And what did they try to do? They tried to sew together some, some fig leaves. It was probably pretty lame, but they were, they were trying to cover themselves somehow. Uh, what did God do? He sacrificed an animal took the skin from that animal and, and covered them. And the truth of the matter is that God's solution to sin is always superior to our solution to sin, right? Their solution was to try to sew together this uh, lame outfit of fig leaves. God's solution was to, to give them something, something better. And so even in that, we see a transference of uh, their sin uh, actually was responsible for an animal having to die. And that's like a heavy thing. And I'm not trying to explain all of that this morning, but there was a transfer that happened there, right? But in, in Jesus, there was an even greater transference, right? Uh, book of First uh, Corinthians talks about that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf 
that we might know the righteousness of God, right? So uh, his righteousness was transferred to us. Our sin was transferred to him. Uh, On earth, our striving, our uh, pressing forward in vain was transferred to him. His rest, his victory was transferred to us. Uh, He wore a crown of sin so that we might wear a crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness that belongs to him was placed on our head. The victory that belongs to him was credited to us, not because of our deeds, but because of God's grace, because of God's love. And as we actualize that rest through faith, uh, then that's when we begin to see some amazing things happen, right? Uh, transfer, and especially the, the transference of, of Christ and his victory to us, uh, boy, is, if you think about it just from the... the reading it and from just a sheerly logical point, uh, it makes no sense, right? It's the most unfair trade in the the history of of the universe. Uh, But it's amazing, you know. Uh, I occasionally work out, not really, but I like the idea of working out, you know, like who's with me. Um, Okay. And so, but, you know, I also like... uh, when we, we don't have TV right now. When we had TV, I liked watching the, the CrossFit games, okay? And I even, like, a couple of times did a CrossFit workout. It was a near-death experience. Uh, I thought maybe I was going to go see Jesus that day. But um, it was bad, you know? It was, it was a hard workout. Uh, so really what I want is to have the physique and the uh, fitness level of a CrossFit athlete while sitting on my couch, eating Dr. Pepper and double stuffed Oreos, right? Which is a quite pleasurable experience. Uh, But I'm probably not going to be a CrossFit athlete if I'm eating Dr. Pepper, maybe diet Dr. Pepper, but if I'm drinking Dr. Pepper and eating double stuffed Oreos, that's not going to get me there. Uh, But this transfer of, of Christ, it'd be like the the world's best CrossFit athlete, all of the hard work that he or she has put in is somehow given to me. I somehow receive all the rewards and all the labor that they've put in. Somehow that's transferred to me. And uh, my level of fitness, drinking Dr. Pepper and eating Oreos. You know, I'm doing curls when I eat Oreos, so that's good. But it's like all of that that I haven't done is credited to this athlete. That's not really fair. <laughs> and, and, and quite frankly, that's not how the world works. But uh, in the spiritual realm, that is how God works through the person of Christ and through faith. And so, uh, but this transference, this uh, victory, this rest, it's actualized through, through faith. And it, uh, it can be missed. You know, this passage here seems to indicate that, that uh, yes, it's been established for us. Yes, it's there for us. Uh, but we have to step out in faith. We have to step forward in faith to, to receive the, the, the benefits of it and to receive what God has for us. Um, there's a, a, a slide, I think, with a car on it. Now, that's an awesome car right there. That is a 1971 Dodge Charger. Uh, the engine is 440 cubic inches of awesomeness. And this one happens to be on sale for only $80,000. So if you want to start a GoFundMe page so I can get this, have at it. This car is awesome. Uh, 
when we lived in, in El Paso, we lived in El Paso before we moved here. And those of you who uh, have been to El Paso or lived in El Paso, you know about the stretch of road from El Paso up to uh, Alamogordo, right? It's a long road of nothingness. And my dream has always been to have a car, something like this, and just take it out on US 54 and just hammer it, right? Uh, So imagine that uh, somehow I I did end up with a car like that. Uh, All of the horsepower, all of the just awesomeness that's in that car, it's available to me if that car has been given to me. But I have to open the door, I have to close the door, I have to put the key in the ignition, I have to turn it on have to push down the gas pedal. There's some steps that I have to take to access everything that that car has to offer. The same is true for us uh, with our position uh, of victory, our position of rest. Uh, It's all there for us, uh, but God is not probably, he is going to to call us to take some steps to, uh, to see the fulfillment of that and for us to actually receive uh, the work that Christ has, re- has uh, accomplished for us. In uh, John, uh, Gospel of John chapters 14 and, and 17, Jesus teaches a lot about obedience. And, and what I want to, to say is that uh, as we act in faith, that we demonstrate it through obedience, right? So faith is the step to access and then, and then it's demonstrated through obedience. And John 14 and 17, Jesus talks about all kinds of uh, Uh, things with the disciples, but uh, one of the themes that he keeps coming back to is this theme of of obedience. And then he kind of uh, brings some of that to a a head in John 15, where he talks about uh, he is the vine, we are the branches, Uh, he who abides in me, uh, I abide in you, you abide in me, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. Uh, And for a long time, uh, my thinking of of fruit was that... uh, I needed to be accomplishing all of these works for God, you know, and it was, again, I was kind of going back to that idea of performance and not position, right? Uh, But uh, what it seems like perhaps Jesus is teaching here in John 15 is that uh, abiding is about resting in him. Now it's active. We have to, uh, we achieve it through faith. So it's not just sitting back and and doing nothing. So it's available there for us. We have to uh, activate it through faith. But then uh, it seems like maybe what Jesus is talking about, the fruit that's produced is love, joy, and obedience, right? In John 15, he talks about that uh, his joy is in us and, and his joy is, is complete. And then he talks uh, throughout John 14 through 17, he connects this idea of, of love equaling obedience. And so uh, what I want to suggest to us this morning is that as we... Uh, Maybe walk away from here as we evaluate, you know, what, what does God have for me uh, from this message? Uh, maybe what he has for us is we just, uh, we ask ourselves, you know, uh, in my life, am, am I producing obedience, which looks like love, which looks like joy, which looks like abiding in him? And we move on in Hebrews 4 and we see that, uh, that to rest in this victory, to uh, to walk in this victory that it requires the word of God for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. 
Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we are accountable. So we see here that, uh, yes, this rest is achieved for us, uh, but it's, it's measured and it, it requires the word of God uh, living in us. And it requires us to, uh, to make the, the word of God the accountability standard by which we measure things, right? Uh, because uh, left to our own devices, we're going to usually uh, either measure ourselves against somebody that in our eyes is less than us. We're like, man, I'm doing way better than them. Or we measure ourselves against somebody that we uh, judge to be superior to us, and then we start beating ourselves up, right? Uh, and so this is a call back again to live in this life of rest, to live in this life of victory. What, what do we do? We have to be regularly engaging with the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to be the, uh, the standard of, of, of accountability for us. And what the Word of God does is it gives us an accurate view of ourselves and an accurate view of Him, right? Um, you know, I wear, wear glasses sometimes. I need to wear them all the time. I wear them sometimes. Uh, but when you go to the optometrist, right, um, you know, they always, they put your face in front of this thing and they turn the thing, what looks better, one or two. Like 80% of the time, I can't tell which one's clearer. Right. But, so I just start spouting off numbers, one, two, 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 one. <laughs> Throw in a three or a four occasionally. Uh, but what, what those slides do when they're uh, flipping those slides, what it's doing is it's, it's giving us a, a more accurate uh, view of, of what is on that, uh, that wall, the letters that are on that wall. And the same is true for the Word of God that uh, we have to have the Word of God to give us an accurate view of ourselves and to give us an accurate view of Him. There's a picture of uh, some, some agriculture and you may not be able to see it in this picture. I'll step off to the side here. But uh, like I said, I, I grew up farming and I uh, grew up farming in the Lubbock area. And it's very, well, it's very dry there. You know, it's not as dry as El Paso, but it's a lot drier than DFW. And most of the land that, <clears throat> that my family farmed uh, did not have irrigation. And so we were really very dependent on rainfall. And you can see these, these rows here, they're, they're curved. If you can see in the picture, I don't know how well you can see it, but they're, they're curved. And that's called uh, contour rows. And so those rows follow the contour of the land. So if you've ever been out in the Lubbock area, it, for the most part, it is flat, but the land, if you actually get out and walk on it, uh, there's dips, there's valleys, there's, uh, you know, small, shallow lakes. And so uh, to catch all the rain that falls, you have to uh, make the rows contour so that the water doesn't run off. Because the land is sl- sloping like this, you know, when it rains, it's going to run from the high end down to the low end. So the low end is going to be flooded and the high end is not going to have anything. So you contour the rows to try to catch the water, and you, you make the, the contour off of uh, these raised terraces, right? They put these terraces that are like probably three or four feet high, and then those terraces follow the contour of the row, and then you lay the rows off based on that, that terrace. I don't know if this is making sense. I feel like it's not, but... <laughs> The basic idea is you have to follow the pattern that's set out by that terrace. You have to set the rows according to that pattern. We have to set our lives according to the pattern of the Word of God. Because just like with, uh, with these rows, when it rains, if they're not contoured, you're going to 
miss something that the crop really needs. The same is true for us. If we're not uh, setting ourselves off of the standard of the word, we're going to miss things that God has for us. We're going to miss valuable things that he has for us. And it's going to be a gift that he poured out for us and, and we don't want it to go wasted, right? Um, and finally, we see that the, the victory of Jesus, the, the rest of Jesus, uh, that it grants us access to the Father, Amen. right? Uh, con- uh, concluding here, Hebrews 4. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what he believes. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. It says Jesus is our great high priest, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the high priest, this system was established by God. Um, and the high priest, uh, once a year, would enter into the tabernacle or later on when they had the temple, he would enter into what was called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And the Holy of Holies is uh, where the people believed that God's presence would dwell. And so once a year, this high priest would go in to the Holy of Holies. And uh, as he went into the Holy of Holies, what he was doing, well, he was making a sacrifice uh, for sin on behalf of the people. And he was going in as a representative, right? He was representing the people of Israel to God. And when he came out, he was representing God to the people of Israel. So the high priest was a, a representative, an, an intermediary for both parties. Uh, Jesus is the great high priest, right? Uh, that's why the uh, humanity of Christ, fully human, fully divine, that's why that's uh, non-negotiable uh, in terms of, of, of his nature, because to fully represent God to us, he had to be fully divine. To fully represent us to God, he had to be fully human, right? So Jesus is the great high priest, and, and he entered in on our behalf. And uh, not only was he, he the high priest, but he was also the sacrifice, right? He was both. Uh, in uh, the uh, Jewish holidays, uh, Yom Kippur, that's the Day of Atonement. That's the day that the, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. So on, on Yom Kippur, uh, Yom Kippur uh, they would also take, uh, the high priest would take a, a goat and he would uh, put his hand on the goat and some blood on the goat. And it would be a, uh, a symbol of the, people, uh, the sins of the people going on to this goat. And this goat was sent out into the wilderness. And it's, it's actually where we get the English term, the scapegoat, right? Somebody or something that takes the blame for something that they didn't actually, weren't responsible for. But this, this goat, uh, the, the Jewish word, a Hebrew word, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it. But the, the Hebrew word is la azazel, la azazel. And it, it literally means the sender away of sins or the complete removal of sins. And so, again, in this illustration, Jesus was the high priest putting his hand on the goat, but at the same time, he was the goat, right? All of our sins were placed on him, and he was, he was cast out from the people. He was cut off from the people uh, It is in his death. And so, Jesus is our high priest, and, and what has that accomplished for us? What, uh, 
what does that look like for us? It says that when we come to his throne, we find Jesus. When we come to the throne of God, we find Jesus. Uh, We find our mercy. We find our grace. We find our boldness. We find our help. We find our rest. Uh, And so for for me, uh, in trying to to daily uh, remember my position in Christ, the position of victory, uh, the position of rest, uh, and I I have to, to, to come before this throne of grace every day. I'm not saying I do it every day, but if I want to stay uh, planted in that position of victory and, and keep the right perspective on things, it's imperative. But that's exactly what Jesus accomplished for us as the high priest, as the sacrifice he accomplished, uh, access to the Father, access to himself, so that in our time of need, we can find mercy, we can find grace, we can find boldness, we can find help, we can find rest. Mm-hmm.